are spooky you what up it's been a long weekend so it's great to come back and hang out with you guys on this glorious fall tuesday uh we are spooky you we love to talk about all things spooky legends lore dark history uh weird true crime if it's weird if it's spooky if it's dark we love it we love to talk about it we love to share it with you if it would look great in a scooby-doo chase scene We love to talk about it. You know what, JP? That's so true. But uh, hey, I am one of your hosts, Allie, the hostess with the ghostess and the mostess brain cells. Yeah. That's what what we're going with today. (laughs) I have brain cells. You're looking really (laughs) legit right now. I may or may not be the other host, JP. I can neither confirm nor deny this fact. Yeah, you still, jury's still out to see how this one goes. <laughs> yep, just like our sibling relationship, jury's still out whether or not the other's going to live. Yeah, that's very true. That's very, very true. Um, I have to tell you, so I, um, I was in my friend's wedding this weekend, and uh, it was a very beautiful wedding. Um, you know, shout out to the newlyweds. Wish you all a long life of love and happiness. But, you know, of course... These are lifelong friends that you also know as well. Yes, also brother sisters. And weird the fact too, all of our friends are brother and sisters, and they're roughly the same age as us. Like there's roughly the same age gap. Like everyone was born in like ninety one, ninety two, ninety four, ninety five. Like we're ra- around that. But anyway, so like obviously you came up in topic of conversation and. They asked me like how you were doing and everything. And I shared them how everything was going. I said, ah, he broke his foot. He's stupid. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the people who were getting to know me, we like we got on the subject of siblings like fighting and like, you know, arguing and stuff. And I said, well, my brother is a freaking black belt. So I used to beat up, <laughs> beat up on him, but now I can't. So I have to start training, too. So uh, I thought I'd share that with you. Aww. Yeah, I know. That's our sibling relationship. We literally kick each other's asses. Well, yeah, but it's fun. We have fun with it's it. It's fun. And then we talk about really dark stuff and share it with people. So we have a really interesting sibling relationship. I feel like we're par for the course. Yeah, it's probably about the same. Um, I also have something else to share with you because you didn't know about this when I brought it up earlier. And you have to know about this because it's amazing. Sure. Why not? Do you know... Noodle the Pug. Who? Noodle the Pug. Who? Like, do you know what a no bones day is or a bones day? No. No, I do not. <laughs> That's okay. pretty clear. So Noodle is a 13-year-old pug, and Noodle's owner, who I'm pretty sure has the same first name as you, but I can't confirm, um, and Noodle's owner will pick Noodle up at the beginning of each day. And if Noodle stands up on his own, that is a bones day. That's a great day. It's going to be a good one. You got to treat yourself. It's awesome. It's excellent. If Noodle just plops right back down, that's a no bones day. And you got to be kind to yourself on a no bones day. You know, like don't make any rough or rash decisions. You just just be kind to yourself on a no bones day. I didn't check the forecast today, but obviously the day it comes, the day this episode comes out, uh, don't forget to check your Noodle forecast, everybody. Uh, Hopefully it's a good bones day for you. So, I'm not going to lie. It sounds like regardless what he does, you do the exact same thing every day. Well, um, I mean, yeah, but it's just like having this pug predict how our day might go for us is really comforting. And um, I very much enjoy getting my noodle forecast. Um, Yeah, I love noodle. You know, this... uh... 
I, I feel like there's already something like this that exists, and it happens at the appropriate amount of time of year. What's that? Groundhog's Day. Well, okay. It's you like... literally get a weather report from a rodent. Yeah, but this isn't a weather report, and it's not a rodent, so it's different. This is like a horoscope groundhog. No, yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, no. You're... No, is it, this is Prince Atani's <laughs> horoscope. That's what you're describing Wait. to me. Horrorscope or horoscope? Do you honestly think I know the difference? <laughs> no, JP, this is like a barometer for how your day's gonna go. So it's a little bit different. Thank you. The I forgot Noodle. the book's name. Noodle. Noodle. Thank you, Noodle, Noodle, because I felt great today, but because you didn't, I now feel terrible. Thank you, Noodle. Well, I I didn't check if today was a bones day or a no bones day, but either way, it's a day to stay in bed because it's Sunday when we're recording. So. See, it's the exact opposite here in Sitka because it's sunny outside, which means you absolutely must go out and exercise. I actually can see the sun coming through your window, and it's very pretty. It, it is beautiful here. There are snow-capped <laughs> mountains Aww. that the bears are frolicking across, and I got to see whales in the harbor the other day. Duh, bears. Duh, whales. The whales are cooler. <laughs> the whales, yeah. Um. Anyway, as per usual, our banter has absolutely nothing to do with what this podcast is about today. Well, you know what? We really... We really needed something happy to start this episode. Oh, yeah, we did, because it's about to get terrible. Oh, okay. It's it's a rough one. Now, I will say, I picked out this topic. Yeah, so this is your own damn fault. Absolutely. I take full responsibility for this. But it's a really interesting story, and I am going to give a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode, because uh, we are talking about Madame Lalaurie. There will be mentions of slavery. There will be mentions of torture. Right before that happens, I will warn you. So um, if somebody is, you know, they, they get squeamish or lightheaded when torture or, you know, some really graphic depictions of torture are mentioned, uh, you can fast forward. So we'll give you a warning. I got to tell you, JP, the first time I listened to a podcast that covered this episode, it was TGOG. One of the earlier episodes, I really should have looked up which one it was because they're amazing and, you know, great podcasters. But as one of the hosts, I don't remember who covered her specifically, but one of the hosts were diving into more detail about Madame LaLaurie. I was sitting at work listening and I started to feel physically ill when they were talking about her. Like, I had to stop listening for a while. That's how bad it got. Like, it was this, this lady, this person, LaLaurie is a horrid human being. Yeah, she's like a solid uh she's a solid four on the historical Hitler scale. Oh, yeah, she is violent. She had no remorse and just was extremely sick. So, uh you've been warned, the episode coming your way is going to be disturbing. There are acts of violence, assault, torture, and murder all happening to slaves in the 1800s. Wow, we're really selling this episode out. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. But either way, this woman was horrible. We're about to share with you why. But let's go into the background on the situation. So, JP, tell us about New Orleans. Set the scene. Okay. So the city of New Orleans is a little bit interesting at this time because unlike a lot of the great cities that we know in the U.S., such as Boston and New York, that were established by Great Britain when they settled the New World, or Chicago, which was established by the United States, New Orleans was culturally developed under France and remained such even after being handed over to the Spanish, back again to the French, and then bought, bought by the Americans in 1803. Oh, 
Wow. Okay, so that changed hands a few times. Yes. Uh, founded in 1718 by Sir de Bienville. I'm pretty sure I butchered that. And oh, you did. It was established as the Louisiana colonial capital in 1722, though it did exist as a trading post for obviously some time before that. New Orleans' location at the mouth of the Mississippi was ideal as it provided control over trade coming up and down the river into America's heartland, as well as being a excellent area for producing cash crops such as indigo and, most importantly, sugar. Oh, so what is indigo? Indigo's a dye. Okay. Yeah, it was... That was that felt like a very stupid... Uh, no, I mean, if you're not too familiar with some of the cash crops in that time, you wouldn't know, but... Sugar was the big one because that back then sugar was a rare and foreign commodity. And basically at the time Europe was on like a sugar rush and this is where they were getting it from. Okay. So we were sending it back to them. Yes. In 1763, the colony was ceded to Spain, uh, mainly to keep it out of the hands of the British as sort of a middle finger following the seven years war, or as some Americans know it, the French and Indian war. Nice. Yeah. Ironically, it would be under Spanish rule that we would see New Orleans gain its iconic French Quarter look. Oh. Because after a couple city-sized fires, uh, most of the French buildings had been um, burnt down. So when you when you say a city-sized fire, maybe more like um, a Sitka-sized fire. Okay, so like a small town. Yeah. Their their definition of a city back then was very different than what we have today. But it burned down enough that the old look was just not salvageable. Yes. The old look would have been more gotcha. of like cabins, more think rustic frontier look, a little bit harsher. So things that would burn down. Yeah. Today it has more of that iconic Spanish colonial architecture look. However, though, despite the Spanish control of it, the culture of New Orleans stayed distinctly French. Also, other unique factor was that because it was so low in elevation, the groundwater was basically at the surface, and that's where we get all of the famous above-ground cemeteries in New Orleans. Because they, yes, yeah, because you don't want to bury yeah. your loved one in water. Oh yeah, no, not particularly. That would mm. well, that'd just be a pain in the ass to dig. You need a pump. Also, have you heard that thing about the water in Lake Superior and dead bodies? Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. So obviously this is not New Orleans, but it's still a really cool fact. The water towards the bottom of Lake Superior is so cold that bodies don't decompose. I have heard that. Yeah. I don't know how true that is. I have been seeing it a lot on TikTok, so I'm assuming it's true. Yes, because TikTok is definitely a a legitimate source of information. Well, that's where we figure out if it's a bone stay or a no bone stay. So yeah, it is legitimate. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. (laughs) Cool fact. It was so French- the town that when the Spanish governor arrived and declared the city under Spanish control, the citizens chased him out of town. Wait, like the literal chasing? Yeah. Like they just basically chucked rocks, fruit and what have you at him. And he and his delegation were basically (laughs) forced back onto the boat. What the hell? That's awesome. However, obviously the Spanish were just like, okay, we'll come back with some more soldiers. And yeah, yeah. That's as the, as Europeans tended to do during that time. Uh, It was also under Spain that, New Orleans uh, grew into having a unique class of free people of color, larger than any other city in North America. Okay. After a brief return to a French colony in 1800s, New Orleans was sold to the U.S. in 1803 
by Napoleon to Thomas Jefferson to kind of essentially fund his army. I'm really kind of summarizing big time here, but yeah. Yeah. So you have to think about that for a moment because thousands of culturally French uh, citizens and French people suddenly had their lives go from being French to then being Spanish to back to French and then to America in about three years. Okay, that's a that's a lot of change happening for a big city at the time in a very short amount of time. And you have to think, too, by the time all of those changes came from Europe to America, you're talking like a good few months before the news would reach them. Yeah, so it's a little delayed because they didn't have cell phones back then. No, they did not, despite what some pop culture may want you to believe. Uh, not a lot of pop pop. Wow. You know what, JP? I give up. We should watch Legends of Tomorrow sometime. Legends of Tomorrow? Yeah, it's uh, the only DC show on CW that's still somewhat watchable. Oh, that that does not make yeah. me want to watch it. Okay, by saying something is somewhat watchable, you're not selling this. Sorry, it's actually entertaining. Not somewhat watchable, actually entertaining. Okay, still, there are other shows that I want to watch, but we'll get back to that because I will share them with you. The Louisiana Purchase brought a large wave of American plantation owners to the territory seeking to establish... Oh, wait a second. What? So when New Orleans was given to the Americans or purchased by the Americans, that was the Louisiana Purchase. Yes. JP, I don't... Okay, good night. The territory of Louisiana was purchased in the Louisiana... Well, Were you asleep in I know. class? I'm asleep right now. But um, what I do know... <laughs> Don't flip me off, you dick. Um, what I do know is that I did. It didn't. Okay, both of the facts were there, but they weren't clicking in my head. Okay, like we were, we were, we were getting there. Okay, I was, I was getting there. Allie, is your brain a Model T engine? Possibly. What does that mean? It's a very old car, and it just takes a while for it to like click on. It's like, or no, 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 like a lawnmower engine. Like you have to wind it up three times before it actually gets going. Okay, yeah, that's about good. right. Yeah, that's 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 about right. I really should have realized that by this point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't realize that. <laughs> anyway. No, that it just it took me a second to get there. I didn't realize that that was the entire like thing that was purchased. Well, not just that. I thought the way that you set it up was that it was just the town. So I you, I, you I didn't realize you. Louisiana purchase was like a third of North America or a third of what is modern day US. Oh okay. yeah, no. Yeah, like Lewis and Clark. They, no, I do know that, but. And, yeah, they actually set off from Pittsburgh, which back then was the gateway to the West. Mm, yeah, so we did have the rivers, or we still do have the rivers. Yes, Allie, the rivers didn't go anywhere. They're still there. No, they're still there. <laughs> There's still, still three of them. Hey, to all my friends in Pittsburgh, could you please just double check, make sure we have the Allegheny, the Mon, and the Ohio still there? Make sure one of them didn't disappear. Oh, God. Could you imagine that if one of weird. them did? Anyway, let's get back to the show. Now, the Louisiana Purchase brought American plantation owners looking to establish uh, plantations for sugar and cotton in the, fer in the fertile soils of the lower Mississippi. This also brought a culture clash between the new Americans and the descendants of French colonists. That's, so if you ever hear me say Creole, that's what I mean. Most relevant uh, to us today is the abundance of free people of color who lived in the city. Because for uh, many years, they lived under the Code Noir, which I'll get into a little bit later. But that's what developed kind of the unique culture there. Essentially, that in New Orleans, skin color alone could not determine uh, one's status as a slave. Okay, New Orleans. 
By the time of the La Lurie incident, New Orleans was the largest city in the South and one of the wealthiest cities in the nation. It was a magnificent blend of French, African, American, and Spanish culture. The city served as the southern gateway to the world with for the vast millions of tons of cotton and sugar that was flowing down the Mississippi. This gave rise to even more unique descendant uh, mansions and townhomes that can still be seen today. A lot of those like plantation homes or southern style. Yeah. yeah, not great, but, you know, it's kind of a it gives you a window into what it looked like at the time. I mean, I I mean, I, I know, like, I think we can all probably picture the homes that you're talking about. And yes, the architecture behind the homes are very beautiful, but you are so right. It's it's not great, but it's it's there. You know, it's it's yeah. part of history. And of course, obviously, today we know the ugly truth that all this wealth and power and artwork was powered by one thing. Yep. Now, I'll pass it over to you because we've now hit Lalaurie's time in New Orleans. Yes. So let's... let's talk about this bitch. So, <laughs> Oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> she's she's going to haunt me tonight. When Madame Lalaurie settled in her three-story mansion at 1140 Royal Street, she was a woman of society. She was married three times. And had five children who it said that she loved and took care of very well. So doting, sweet, kind mother. We have husband number one, Don Ramon de Lopez y Angulo. He was a high-ranking Spanish officer. JP's giving me a thumbs down right now. <laughs> I'm rating La Lurie as we go. Oh, okay. Oh, she's she gets a thumbs down from the start. Um, the high-ranking Spanish officer, they had one child together. Then, sadly, he passed away while the couple were en route to Madrid. Uh, anything to add on husband number one? Yes. It started off with a uh, very interesting affair. Oh, la, la. When she was 13. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, oh no, no. You know, this is like the third or fourth time <laughs> we've had like, an underage marital affair on this podcast. Uh, the, the, you mean the third or fourth time yeah. this season <laughs> out of like 13 episodes? I'm thinking of that Doofenshmirtz meme. Yeah, but let's be realistic. It happens a lot in history and all of it is just yikes. Just not good. Not good God, at all. At least we live in a great time where... Don't. No. Uh. Why do people suck? I okay, don't why know. Do Just suck? keep going. Anyway, that could go on. That's a rabbit hole. I do not want yeah, to Yeah, that on. conversation could go on forever. Um, okay, so then we have husband number two, Jean Blanc. He was a banker, lawyer, legislator. He had uh, the cash money, baby. Do you know how he got that cash money, baby? Uh, how, baby? Slavery. He, he, got it, he got it from investing and working in the slave trade. <laughs> well, again, 1800s. People suck. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Jean Dickhead Blanc and Madame Lalaurie had four kids together, three daughters and a son. After he died, she found husband number three with four names, Leonard, Louis, Nicholas, Lalaurie. He uh, didn't hang around her much. He left her alone to her own devices, which we will learn later in the episode was a really bad idea. It was a very unhappy marriage. Well, yeah, I mean, it was probably more transactional back then. Actually, the weird thing is it was a role of reversal, and she was actually much older than Lalaurie. Oh. For lack of a better term, it was a cougar attack. 
That's <laughs> a cougar attack. You're funny. Um, so, I mean, like, I'm all for having some time to yourself in a relationship. Everyone needs that. But in this case, maybe her husband should have checked up on her just a little bit. You know, just like pop your head in. Like, hey, honey, how's it going? What's up? And in 1831 was the year that she purchased and moved into the Hell House. As many women of society at the time, she did own slaves. The community knew of Lollary because she was a woman of society. And they were always so shocked at how polite she was to her slaves by showing them kindness in public. But as small communities do, rumors start to spread that it was all an act. And the rumors turned out to be true. In the southern states, in 1800s, New Orleans specifically, unlike other areas, New Orleans had laws protecting slaves from unusually cruel punishments. And it said that the Lollary Mansion did not adhere to these laws. So, JP, why don't you tell us a little bit about these laws? Yeah. Okay. So I'll go into a bit of a background as far as like kind of the slave culture in this town goes, because it's a little interesting i'm gonna use that word very cautiously the specific laws that you're referring to are called the code noir they were originally a decree passed by king louis the 14th in 1685 this decree defined conditions of slavery in french colonies furthermore it made conversion to catholicism compulsory for all slaves who yikes i mean all of it's yikes but like it also decreed the expulsion of all jews from all french colonies because you know, when have the Jewish people ever caught a break in history? JP, I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. The two proposed reasons for the Code Noir include the desire of the nation of France to assert sovereignty over its own colonies and to protect its lucrative uh, production of cane sugar because it was more about the production and what they could financially get out of these colonies for France rather than like actually establishing a presence and a population in their colonies. So basically, it was a way to kind of set some rules and regulations to project the power of... Hey, sorry, this is JP. I just want to make a quick correction right here. I meant to say project the power of the king of France because King Louis fifteenth, sixteenth, there were a lot of Louis. But it was not the nation of France at this time. It was still very much the king of France. And that power would have been in Versailles, not Paris. I don't know why I said that, but I just want to make that correction. Anyway, back to the episode into these far-flung sections of the world. Okay, I gotcha. I mean, again, it makes sense. It's not great, but we're looking at it at that specific time in history. Yeah. So basically... They were kind of more of a way to keep the uh, operators of the land in line because the actual land owners didn't live on the land. They still lived back in France. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Most of it put out some standards as in they had to feed, clothe the slaves. That was codified as well as restrictions and punishments for slave masters for what they could or could not do to their slaves. In addition, it outlines how slaves may be freed and how they may be punished. A brief summary also shows that it was very much meant to prevent slave revolts because the harshest punishments were reserved for slaves who either raised a hand or rebelled or showed defiance against their masters or repeat runaways. Slaves could also not sue or testify in court. 
The code does outline how slave ownership would work. For example, two articles relevant to us, 42 and 43, masters may chain and beat their slaves, but they may not torture them. And masters who killed their slaves would be punished. Now, obviously, that sounds a little vague, and if you thought so too, congratulations on not living in the 17th century. Yeah, that's extremely vague. The Code Noir, quite frankly, it's not great. It, it's only slightly better than what Britain and the U.S. were doing at the time. So, yeah, this code and decree, obviously, once uh, New Orleans was no longer under France, it was not legal. It doesn't apply. But obviously, it stayed part of the culture there. The whole thing of being converted to Catholicism, they found a workaround to that when they realized that once they were freeing slaves and they were Catholic, that caused a problem to the bottom line. So yeah, they managed to convert them and still keep them slaves. God, it's it's so bad. It's just it's just all so bad. Yeah, you act surprised, Allie, but... No, I'm not surprised. That's That's the worst part is I'm not surprised. When the Spanish took over, they enacted further laws that granted more protection from slave, for slaves from slave owners and made it easier for slaves to be freed. This was combined with a culture of masters freeing older slaves or entire families in their wills. Free people of color population continued to grow within the city, many former slaves then taking up craft jobs such as uh, labor, and especially in New Orleans, they became dock workers and mariners. Some even managed to rise up into more prominent business-owning roles, uh, religious figures, master craftsmen, and even some doctors. So it was a very strange thing where you could literally walk down the street and see someone who was black chained and bound as a slave, and then next to them, somebody who was black who was a doctor. That's a really interesting... Yeah, and I would dive in more to how, because there was a bit of how the free people of color population distanced themselves from slaves, and it... It's a very nuanced section of history, and I'm just glossing over it to give you some context. Following the Louisiana Purchase, this caused a migration of American slave culture into this area. So kind of more of what we associate with what we see in American history for slave culture. Again, not great. No, it was not. But this clashed with the uh, Creole population of the city and with the Americans settling in the southern suburbs of the city. They referred to the area that the Creole lived in as the French Quarter. Okay. So I, I just also mainly wanted to kind of put that little tidbit of fact in. But also eager for American to establish control, Governor Claiborne began imposing U.S. laws and more race-based ideology in the American South. Hmm. Okay. So when they came in, this is when that code noir was going up against the American slave laws. This would have been going on when LaLaurie was a little girl, likely impacting how she viewed slavery. That's very true, yeah. Two other things that really could have maybe caused LaLaurie's viewpoint on slaves and her treatment of them to be formed were some of the things that had been going on in New Orleans during the time she was a child. For example, in New Orleans, it saw a massive influx of free people of color fleeing the Haitian Revolution, causing great concern that the revolution would spread to New Orleans. For those of you who don't know much about the Haitian Revolution, it was the only successful slave revolt and establishment of an independent nation in history. Huh. It was also extremely bloody. A lot of people died in it. And obviously it didn't go well for slave masters. So they had a vested interest to not have that happen in New Orleans. 
I can honestly say I've never heard of that, but I'm not surprised that the American education system did not teach that. Listeners, you are curious about the Haitian Revolution and you want to get like a nice intro to it. Go on to Extra History on YouTube. They have like a whole series giving a good overview of the story. And it's really interesting. Yeah, that does seem really interesting because I truly I have never heard of that, JP. So you're you're teaching me something here. And if you want something new that uh, American history classes definitely did not teach, 1811 German Coast Revolt. This actually happened 40 miles outside of New Orleans and quite frankly, will probably deserve an episode of its own. But basically, it was the single largest slave revolt that took place in American history. Oh, okay. Yeah, again, this is something I haven't heard of. Needless to say, it didn't go well. Yeah, I could see that. It's kind of theorized that a lot of these incidences, the Haitian Revolution, the German coast, this impacted how La Lurie viewed slaves and likely her distrust of them and paranoia. What I don't understand about La Lurie, unfortunately, her view of slavery is reflective of the time. Well, not even that it was reflective of the time, but that she grew up in a time where there was an unusual amount of paranoia about slave revolts because there were all these things going on where slaves were rising up in increasing frequency. But she, and you're going to hear this very soon because we're about to get into it, she has such little, basically no regard for human life. Like, that's one thing I don't understand where that came from. Likely, we're never going to know. No, no. It's just, that's that's a whole other conversation, which I'd be really intrigued to talk with, like, a psychologist about something like that. Because, I mean, like, okay, are you, you ready to just dive in? Because <laughs> this is this is where it gets bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can go ahead and uh, bring us on down. <laughs> just... Bring us down. This is not great. Okay, so, all right, let's talk about some of the rumors first, okay? So this is kind of the beginning. The people are starting to talk a little bit. Now, there were rumors that she kept a 70-year-old cook chained to the stove, They were and they were starving. Another rumor that she kept a secret slaves for her doctor husband to practice Haitian voodoo on. Now, these accounts are questionable as claims have been made that any accounts of medical experiments didn't show up until the 1940s. So, yeah, that would be a little bit later. There are some also, also some rumors that she extended her cruelty to her daughters and would whip them if they tried to help the slave. Another rumor states that a man was scared of her punishment and that he threw himself out of a third-story window rather than be subject to her torture third story window was then cemented shut and still visible today. Some accounts claim that the window was cemented during internal refurbishments and uh, they wanted the house to look symmetrical from both sides. So there are some accounts that saying like, yes, it was there or that happened during refurbishments. There was another report of a 12 year old slave girl named Leah. As she was brushing Madame LaLaurie's hair, she pulled a little too hard, which caused Lalaurie to get extremely upset and fly into a fit of rage and then whip the young girl. Uh, like the young man before her, Leah climbed to the roof and left. Witnesses claimed to have seen Lalaurie burying Leah, and the police were forced to fine Lalaurie $300 and made her sell nine of her slaves 
but conveniently looked the other way when she purchased them all back. Yikes. Yeah, like I said, the term punishment was very vague. Pretty loose. Now, I want to point out that the actual wording of the article I read was, quote, the police were forced to fine her. Don't want to get into a huge debate, but all I'm going to say is those people that looked the other way, garbage, garbage human beings. So at this point, uh, locals had really started to catch on to LaLaurie. So when a fire broke out in 1834, no one was surprised when her slaves were the last to be found in the home. But how they were found was shocking. JP, you have some details about the fire. So the fire initially started in the house. It was likely in the kitchen and then spread quickly. The second floor was where the slave quarters was. And when a judge attempted to get the key from Mr. LaLaurie, who, mind you, at the time was divorced from Adam Delphine, basically told the judge to, quote, mind his own damn business. However, because the judge was a judge, he just ordered some people to break the door down. Good for the judge. This is where, at least when I look back to the oldest article from the New Orleans Bee that described the events, they, in quote, said that the details were too horrible to describe. So the actual details of what was found that night are extremely vague and hard to confirm. So we don't know for sure what they found. It's basically a generation-long game of telephone, but this is not a fun game. So trigger warning, we're going to go into the details about what was found so skip ahead 30 seconds if you based are based on like the 50 disclaimers we've given this episode yeah i know we're really Ellie, preparing you people for this i feel like these disclaimers are more for you than they are for anyone else i don't like what i'm about to read so again these are passed down through generations but here we go <sighs> uncorroborated reports from eyewitnesses claim that there were at least seven slaves that were beaten, bruised, and bloodied within an inch of their lives. Their eyes were gouged out. Oh, I hate this part. Their skin flayed, and their mouths filled with excrement and then sewn shut. There's a particularly disturbing claim that a woman had her bones broken and reset so that she resembled a crab, and another woman was wrapped in human intestines. God, I hate this so much. This is where I had to turn it off when I listened the first time, okay? A witness also claimed there, ugh, there were people with holes in their skulls and wooden spoons near them that would be used to stir their brains. That would just kill someone. I hate it so much, JP. I hate it so much. One slave was said to have been covered in honey with black ants crawling all over him. There were rumors uh, that there were dead bodies in the attic and their corpses were mutilated beyond recognition. Their organs not all intact or inside their bodies. Some say there were only a handful of bodies. Others say there were over a hundred victims. Either way, LaLaurie earned her reputation as one of the most brutal women in history. Okay, we're done with the torture. Whew. Okay, fortunately... I actually did find a good source. Uh, shout out to Aktun Shea Films. This guy has a YouTube channel, and he actually served as a New Orleans tour guide for four years. That's awesome. Frequently uh, teaching about the LaLaurie Mansion. And I can safely confirm that a lot of the stories that they tell are straight 
made up by tour guides and added more flair to be slightly more dramatic or be unique to each tour guide. So for example, the flaying and the crab woman or what they call the person whose bones were broken and reset, those were likely made up by tour guides. I I mean, I don't hope any of this happened, but we know it did. But like those two are particularly horrible. So it's, oh God, it sounds so bad to say it's comforting to hear that like those are made up by tour guides, but it's like, okay, like maybe it wasn't that bad, but I mean, we know it was probably it was, really horrible. It was, obviously it was not great, but a lot of these... I would say a lot of the ones that sound like they are out of a modern day horror movie, those were likely made up by somebody who had seen horror movies and culturally could visualize those kinds of graphic nature. Whereas somebody back then likely would have maybe stuck to more of the inspiration and references that were available at the time from other slave, other uh, slave owners. Like the worst I could think of was, because like here's contextually, in the German Coast Uprising that I had mentioned earlier, the leader who led 500 slaves and massacred and fought slave owners was punished by having his limbs hacked off and pushed into a fire. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's real Absolutely calm. horrifying. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. You can kind of see how like that, if that's considered like the most brutal thing that they can do, it's a little strange... I don't know. It to me, it's a little strange that these like modern day, what we would kind of consider like modern day horror things would be there in those times. Yeah, but one thing, JP, is that you know m- people's minds are what come up with these things. So who's to say? And again, this is why I said at the beginning we're not time travelers. We don't know exactly what happened. But who's to say that this woman? didn't come up with these things and truly do some of these things like and again so I don't, the reason I don't at least know. we know to some degree is because some things were mentioned in those early uh documents about what they found and they included yeah somebody being hung from the rafters somebody being chained and starved and you have to think without modern day horror movies those kinds of images would have been brutal enough at that time Oh, yeah. No, that would have been considered too brutal to publish, just like yeah. you had said earlier. It's Yeah, it's likely that a lot of times as our culture has changed and we've become a little bit more desensitized to visual gore, it's likely that those things have, what has happened in the Lollary Mansion has changed with our time. I mean, who doesn't love a good story when it's really just kind of messed up? I mean, if we're... If we're talking about like, uh, you know, whenever I I read the crab thing, I always think about the Criminal Minds episode where the guy is like obsessed with birds and he, you know, makes his victims essentially look like birds, you know, for lack of a better description. (laughs) Um, I, I always think about that. And, you know, someone had to come up with that. And who's to say Lollary didn't do something like that, but it is almost comforting and thinking maybe that is fake and it's just a story. Now, obviously, the things she did were horrible, but the fact that there are people embellishing to like just make it a story and make it an entertaining tour, it's like, okay, it's again, it's not great, but 
like at least it maybe wasn't as bad as we thought it was it could have been worse too yeah we don't know and i mean i think a lot of you listeners out there you can agree that when you think of certain historical events or certain historical things it's honestly no small feat to realize how many times things in history have been embellished i mean you know think about when you learned about christopher columbus or uh Trying to think any other good examples. Rasputin's a great one. He's one that. Hey, sorry to interrupt again. I uh, just wanted to clarify what I'm trying to say here about Rasputin. Basically, I'm trying to get at that Rasputin's story was written by so many biased sources and has been changed so many times over the century that it's really honestly hard for anyone to make sense of who Rasputin truly was and what his real motives were because. History sucks like that, and everyone who writes usually tries to shit-talk each other. And so if that happens for Rasputin, it certainly can happen for La Lurie. Thanks. Back to the podcast. You also have to remember, this is high society gossip. This is no different than... The town we grew up in gossiping. Karens, yeah. This is like this is just a group of <laughs> 19th century Karens who are making these things. And... Oh, that's so true. Yeah, they could be gossiping at high tea, being like, did you hear what to she did? My God. It's horrible. Yes, but uh, I firmly take the stance on fuck all of them. They were assholes. Yeah, yeah fuck all, all of them. Yeah. Honestly, they're all, yeah. they're all horrible people. So, but let's go into the aftermath a little bit. Yes. So after the slaves were found and released from the burning building... The community of about 4,000 angry townspeople ransacked the home and destroyed everything. Only the outside walls remained. So those people who destroyed everything, you get a little uh, little notch up in my book there. Good job, people. Uh, the house does still stand on the corner of Royal Street, but Madame LaLaurie, nowhere to be found. After the dust settled, it's said that she and her driver escaped to Paris, but no records of her arriving in Paris were ever released. Her daughters have claimed to have received letters from her, but no one has ever seen them. In the late 1930s, an old cracked copper plate was found in the New Orleans St. Louis Cemetery with the name LaLaurie Madame Delphine McCarty, which is LaLaurie's maiden name. The plate claims that LaLaurie died in Paris on December 7th, 1842. However, there's no records or there are records. Uh, blah, blah, wow, I can't talk. There are records that um, in Paris that claim she died in 1849. Despite the mystery, most people believe that LaLaurie made it to Paris, then came back to NOLA, changed her name and continued to re her reign of terror. To this day, the body of Madame Marie Delphine LaLaurie has never been found. All I will say is that on the historical side of the LaLaurie story, most people just kind of cut it at she booked it to Paris and lived in the lap of luxury for the rest of her life. Yep, that bitch. Yeah, the good die young is uh, has a bit of historical context too. And the bad just live in France, yeah. apparently. Well, or Spain if you're Cortez. He also... He also That's lived true. in the lap of luxury for, uh, despite, you know, committing genocide. <laughs> okay. Well, that took a turn. Uh, do you want to hear yes, some ghost stories? You know, somehow that is better than the rest of this episode. Yeah, this, this episode was not funny. No, no, it was not. <laughs> There's no way for us to be funny. Like, this, this listeners, not, if yeah. you have a great way this to make a show serious. about slavery funny, please let us know because we don't. It's no, yeah, this is just here's quite frankly i don't it. want yeah to. i don't mm -mm, no 
so let's talk about this house and talk about some ghost stories. The house remained vacant for 40 years with locals avoiding it for obvious reasons. It's said people could hear screams and cries coming from the house. It is also said that the house became apartments after being vacant for so long because, you know, Salem did this too, where they made the old Salem jail apartments. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe we stopped. No, doing no, this. no, no, no. This is, this is capitalism. <sighs> God. Okay. So a tenant was brutally murdered in one of the apartments and his belongings were ransacked. Police at first thought it was a robbery. Friends of the victim claimed their friend was having problems with spirits or sprites in the house and uh, his friend's imagination was running wild with them. The friend also claimed that his friend, the, uh, the victim, said there was a demon in the house who was not going to rest until the man met his end in that house. Is this the Lollery house or just the one next door? No, it's Lollery house. Oh, okay. This is when it was apartments. Yeah. Uh, One story that came from this, a young mother of twin infants was living there and got up one night to check on the babies. When she crossed the hallway, she said a figure of a woman dressed in black was at the top of the stairway attempting to throw her baby down the stairs. So, yeah, Lollery was just trying to yeet that baby. Lollery. Do not yeet the baby. Babies are not yeetable. I mean, they are, but it's not It's not good. We hear a spooky you. Do not condone the yeeting of babies. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, now we made it funny. <laughs> we're horrible. We just had to bring baby murder in. No, JP. Okay, now we crossed the line. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, what do you think happened when you yeet the baby? Okay, touche. Um, <laughs> the... The mother ran into her baby's room and found them sleeping soundly uh, the next night. Uh, She did see the figure standing over the crib in the middle of the night. So she ran towards the woman, but the woman vanished and there was a sock shoved in the baby's mouth. Wow. Yeah. So again, Lollary. No, not good. Not good. Other people claim to have seen a ghost girl playing around the mansion. Could that possibly be Leah? Many ghost tours have photographed orbs, ectoplasm along the balcony of the home, and in classic ghost tour fashion, they have had people faint. Over a hundred, and mysteriously all in the same spot. It's always right across from the courtyard in someone's driveway. Because remember, this is a privately owned home, so they can't go into the home. Um... Inside the home, there's little to no energy in the main area. However, the back apartments where the slaves were held, uh, there's a lot of phenomenon that supposedly take place there. So, as I said, we're going to talk a little bit about the pop culture and the house today. Now, currently it's privately owned. Surprisingly, a celebrity actually owned the house in kind of the early 2000s. You want to Nicholas Cage. Yeah, I already told you. Also, that tracks for Nicolas Cage because he just shows up in things that you really don't think he should be in. That's so true. Director of Ghost Rider. Why did you think Nicolas Cage was a good idea for that movie? So I have this theory about the National Treasure movie. Uh, do we have enough time to get into this? Yes, we oh, do. It's very quick. And I think it's true. No one can convince me otherwise. So I 100% think that the plot of National Treasure is true. I do think that there is... No, JP, don't make that face. Let me finish. I do think that there is a huge treasure, but I think that whoever like wrote the movie, made the movie, was like, okay, 
we're going to put this out there and how are we going to mess with people? I know. We're going to put Nicolas Cage in it because no one will believe it because he's that bad. I mean, that's my one movie he was actually good in. (laughs) He was all right. But there is a quote from a ghost tour website that legitimately says Nicolas Cage indeed owned this house for a short time. It is also true that he managed his money as well as he acts and he no longer owns the home. That sounds about right. Which. Yeah. It tracks. Um, so Ghost City Tours in New Orleans has a ton of information on their site about stories of the house and experiences their guides have had on the tour. So I'm going to share some of these. They write that one day a medium went on the tour and she felt very heavy with emotions as they reached the mansion. She expressed sadness, saw the cemented window and said, that's not where the little girl fell out of. The guide had not reached that part of the story and said, you're right. She fell into the courtyard. The medium went on to say there was a spirit of a young boy who liked to play pranks on people and the spirit of a young girl who was nervous a lot. The tour guide asked if she felt any helplessness or anger. The medium said, no, whatever happened then with Lala Reed does not visit the house anymore. So there's actually some, you know, happy ghosts around the house, which, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, she's gone. She kicked it in Paris. Or France. Yeah, that's true. Several guides at Ghost City Tours have experienced ghostly phenomenon, such as one guide experiencing getting her uh, bag tugged at. And another was telling the story of Leah when the streetlights flickered at the sound of the name. My God. So there's that. What a horrible woman. <laughs> or ghost. Or, yeah, I know. I, but whatever's still there. I don't know. So the ghost tours can't actually go inside the home. So they go on the outside. Yeah, because it is privately owned. But the mansion itself actually gained some popularity when American Horror Story made Madame LaLaurie and the mansion a focal point in one of their seasons. And don't roll your eyes because that's actually a show I've been thinking about rewatching recently. You know, it's kind of funny. We have these like two sticking points that we always try to reference uh, during episodes. It's you. It's American Horror Story with me. It's or the, or the office. office, and with me, it's Assassin's Creed. Like, we try, we make... <laughs> yeah, well, doesn't that track for our topics, though? Like, you cover the history, I cover the spooky, so, like, that tracks Assassin's for Creed fans. Is La Lurie a Templar? Ali has no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, don't know, I know you don't. Yeah, I don't know what that you is. You never played the games I don't games know what that me. is. No, I never play... JP, I don't play video games okay like we've been over this you're missing out i really don't feel like i am but if you want me to play assassin's creed with you when you come home for the holidays i will we'll do the discovery tours those are fun okay we can do that but anyway and then you have to watch american horror story with me fine deal yeah okay it's give and take buddy yeah when when we're not recording so (laughs) Um, this is the only time we can make a deal because then everyone can hold us to it yeah that's very true okay so it is in it is decided I'm watching the league again. So um, anyway, so yes, uh, it was featured in one of the seasons for American Horror Story, specifically Coven. Um, I've heard some people say it's not their favorite season, which I, I kind of agree with. I feel like they could have gone in a certain direction and made it more than what it was. But Kathy Bates plays Madame LaLaurie, and she is flawless. Like Kathy Bates is just phenomenal. So yeah, if you watch uh, the Roanoke season, I legitimately had dreams that she was going to kill me after that season. So that was great. It should be noted that Hollywood spiced up the mansion a little bit. So it looks nothing like the mansion in real life. And then here's a fun little thing I found on the internet. I don't know if it's true, but I feel like sharing it with you guys. 
I definitely saw something online that the writers of The Conjuring were working on some films based on the Lollary Mansion. Again, I'm not sure if it's true. Um, it'd be great if it was, because I feel like it would make some really, really great movies if they do it right. And, uh, you know. That's probably going to go as well as whenever Hollywood gets their hands on Native American lore. Uh, touche. Touche. I mean, there there's a way that it could be done. There is a way, but they're not going to do it. It's, well, it, it depends. I mean, they could do it well, or they could just dive bomb. So jury's out again that's that's like a major rumor like i don't know if that's true but i saw it and i was like oh i think that's worth mentioning okay that's interesting well and that's it say, perfect so that is that's all she wrote yeah thank god wow yeah yeah that was you you picked this one Allie, and you Yikes. made me look up slavery things well listen <sighs> madame la Lurie is a horrid horrid human being i think we got we got the point across i know but just the fact that she did everything she did in the time that she did it it, it's really like it's really fascinating that humans can act like that and it does not make it right it's horrible but it's still really interesting because humans are just really horrible yeah you have not um we need to talk about the mongols the uh rwandan genocide we we, we should talk al because this is like this is like oh we'll, we'll talk about yeah this is well no this is one person doing something to a small yeah. group of people there are people in history as you have stated jp who do horrible things to a very large group and of on that pleasant note i think this time uh we <laughs> bid you adieu and remember that if you i'm going to wow this is weird i'm going to yeah, you're commandeering yeah. this, aren't you? I, I don't know. This just kind of happened. <laughs> My bad. Okay, so here's your homework assignment for this week, everybody. Tell a friend about us. Yep, that's it. That's all you got to do. That's it. Tell a friend. We want to share our spookiness with you and all your friends and make all the spooky friends in the world. So tell a friend and um, thanks for joining us on this really shitty journey. Go watch a comedy right now. Class dismissed. <laughs>